This is the Chapel of DBTS. Be sure to subscribe and listen to the Chapel messages weekly. And for more info, please go to dbts.edu. And now today's message. It's kind of daunting to think that uh, I've made it to this point. Uh, I remember sitting where you're sitting in the spring of 2014, thinking as someone who is just about to complete their first year of seminary and watching these guys go through preaching their senior sermon, saying, wow, that guy must be a really awesome, smart guy. And now I'm saying, nope, 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 because I'm not, so maybe I'm assuming they're not, but uh, uh, definitely appreciative of my time here. Uh, It's been neat to see change that's happened even over the five years that I've been here. Uh, Probably been in a little bit of a unique situation. I've actually had three deans while I've been here. Um, I'm actually going to finish and have... uh, professors that are now here that I will never had in classes, um, just because of the way things have worked out and where I took classes and such, but uh, being here has shaped me in more ways than I can probably even seek to mention. Um, just thinking through my biblical understanding, my, my way in which to work through the word, um, I actually, I actually tried to avoid the languages, and uh, in, in undergrad and then in an MA, I, I avoided Greek, avoided Hebrew, and I thought, man, I'm on to it. And then, uh, and then when it came time to think about the MDiv, there was the thought of choose one of those seminaries that doesn't require the languages, and that was very tempting. And for those of you that are going through the rigors of that right now, don't give up. That is an invaluable skill. That looking back. Uh, was a short-sighted part of my life to think that I could get around the way God was pushing me uh, without that skill. So, still not developed what it probably should be. My professors could probably make a good case for that. But uh, thankful for the time in, in the in the classroom for those materials. This morning, I'd like to ask you to to join me in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Have you ever been, walked away from a conversation, and at the end of the conversation, immediately after the conversation, you think, I have no idea what we just talked about. Like, I have no idea what we just talked about. We just spent 30 minutes talking. I have no idea what we talked about. Right? And maybe that sounds really odd, right? Because we're the type of people that we're, we're almost trained to engage in everything, right? Every, everything we read everything we, we speak about, every person we talk to, we're engaging, trying to figure out little things of, of ways to direct the conversation, ways to argue against their point. But, but maybe we walk away at some point point. we're just like, yeah, I read it. I checked that box for my class. Um, but I couldn't tell you a thing that was in there. Maybe you've actually had a conversation in which you find yourself saying something repeatedly. Right, so you're having a conversation with your friend or your colleague, and you keep saying their name, not using pronouns. You're using their actual name. And at the end, and, and the person is looking at you like, "What are you doing? Why why do you keep using my name? You know who I am." And I think the passage we're going to look at this morning helps us to combat that. Right, both of these scenarios that I've that I've pulled out seem foreign to conversations that we would have. 
right? We, we want to know what our friends said, our colleagues said. We don't want to seem unengaged. But how often do we approach our conversation with God like that? Right, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 1, we see this overarching warning that, that uh, guides the next several verses. And in verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Right, he's going to go into a section here in the Sermon on the Mount talking about giving and then praying and then fasting. In my, my time this morning, I'd like to focus on that prayer. The, the, the guidelines that he gives for the prayer. But we've got to understand this overarching, this overarching thought, this overarching principle that governs all this. Right? Because what he's saying is that, is that our, 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 there's a warning here regarding any spiritual practice that we engage in. Right? We are to be practicing our righteousness. We'd find several places that, that, would, that would show us that in, in the scriptures. Right? We're, our righteousness is on display and other people can see that and glorify our Father who's in heaven. So he's not condemning that, otherwise he'd be contradicting a lot of these things. What he's condemning here is that we're actually doing these things so that we can be noticed. And men, can I submit to you that the roles in which maybe you find yourself in now, the roles that you will find yourself in, Lord willing, that could be a very real temptation. People looking to you as, as the person, right? Maybe the pastor, the professor, or whatever role you may be in. That he must be the spiritual one, so, so I'm going to look to him, and everything he's going to say has got to be right. So we, and we, we know that. We know that people are going to look to us, and therefore we, we get to ship ourselves like, okay, well, let me see if I can impress him today. And next Sunday is an opportunity to impress them all the more. And our Lord here is warning us that don't do that. Don't practice your righteousness before men. Yes, practice your righteousness. Let it be seen. But don't do it for the purpose of being seen of men. Don't give, don't pray, don't fast for that purpose. Because ultimately, if that's your purpose, you have your reward. You have your reward. And it's not and it is not with the Father who's in heaven. So if it's possible for our attitude to be wrong in our giving and our praying and our fasting, how do we keep our attitude in check? How do we do this? If God wants us to honor him and him alone in all that we do, then how do we do that in our prayers specifically? And I think verses five through eight help us to see that. So join me in chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their full reward. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In, these, in this passage, I think we're going to find that prayer requires our full concentration. Prayer requires our full concentration. And I think we see that in two ways, right? In verse 5, starting in verse 5, 
prayer, praying people, if we're going to be praying people, our prayers require us to concentrate on the correct audience. Right? When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. Okay, yep, got it. Don't want to be a hypocrite. Don't want to have that label. Because for when they, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. And you say, whoa, 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 what's wrong with that? I look through my Old Testament. I look through my New Testament. There are people standing praying. I look through, uh, you know, you would think synagogues, that's, that's a normal place for people to pray. Most of our assemblies have at least one prayer, public prayer, before our church services on Sunday. So is, is our Lord saying, don't do that? Is he saying, don't pray when you're on a street corner? No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He's saying, don't do any of that to be seen of men. Right? It would be, it's natural for, for us to, to pray at the opening of our services on Sunday. And whether your congregation is, is small or large, there's people watching you pray and because, for the sake of their, their congregated around you. And you stand up there and probably don't say, now, everybody watch me as I pray. Listen to me as I pray. You probably say something more like, please join me as I pray. Join me in my prayer to God. Right? Because you're asking these people to agree with what you're saying, and you're not doing it so that they, so that they see you, so that they understand what you're saying. Yes, you want them to understand the words and not be speaking in tongues and won't get into all that. Right? But we're, we're, we're praying in a way that audibly we understand. We can say, yes. Yes, Lord, please do that. Yes, Lord, please please help that person. Yes, Lord, please. Right? We're, we're mentally agreeing with them all the, all the more. But we could get up there and be like, man, I know some really cool theological words I could put in this. I could put in this prayer. And it would make me sound really cool. And my people would think that I, that I know more than they do because I'm something special. And that becomes our motivation. What about the street corner? Right? Maybe not a common thing nowadays, but back in, in the time that this was written, right, a, a good Jew was to be praying three times a day. The third, sixth, and ninth hour. And when they're going about their business, they're walking, walking down the streets, when those times came, the expectation was to pray. Regardless of where you're at. If it happened to be on a street corner, great. If it happened to be in the middle of the street, fine. If it was in your shop, fine. But you're expected to pray. But I think the tendency that he's pushing against here is that these people would linger around these, these street corners thinking, the time is going to come very soon in which I'm supposed to pray. And because this is a busy street corner, there are going to be a lot of people here. And therefore, I'm going to pray with all of these people around and they're going to hear me. And they're going to think, whoa, what about that, that guy? That guy has got something special between him and God. Right, if we didn't talk about it, but up in verse 2, the word street comes up there as well. And actually the idea of street there, where he's talking about um, our giving, is not as much of a thoroughfare. Right, So that might be like, like here at the corner of Allen and Keppen, standing there, and, and the people that just so happen to be passing by, which isn't a lot, 
You're just trying to draw them in. You say, hey, make sure, I want to make sure someone sees that I'm giving something to this person. Down here in verse, in verse 5, when he talks about these street corners, he's talking about major intersections. There's a lot of foot traffic. Think New York City. Okay? Times Square, 24 hours a day, packed with people. And the time comes to pray, and you're in New York City, and you're in Times Square, and it's like, hey, I'm going to pray. Listen to what I'm about to say. And we sit there and we're like, that sounds absurd. But we could have that tendency. That I want to make sure that what I'm saying isn't just, I want to, there's nothing wrong with praying in Times Square. But to praying in Times Square for the sake of people being hearing me, that's the problem. That's where our Lord is pushing against this, that they're praying. They love to stand and pray in synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And again, he puts the same warning out there as he did in verse 1. They have their reward. They have their reward. So if that's not the right audience seeking to be seen by men, what is the right audience? Right? Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what isn't done in secret will reward you. Right? When you pray, right, if we use the basic definition of prayer, that it's communion with God, who's our audience in that? God. I'm not having a conversation with you. I'm not having a conversation with with someone else around me, I'm having a conversation with God. So when I pray, he says, go into your inner room. Go into my inner room? What? Am I supposed to go down here to the hallway and find the custodial closet where no one's going to go in there for a few hours and, and spend my time praying there? Am I supposed to have in my home a, a corner of, of my home that's boxed off right? so that I go in there and that's my prayer room? No one can see me, but they know I'm in there. Right? Where'd Dad go? Oh, he's in his prayer room. Oh, okay. Right? It, it sounds weird, but here, here's what he's getting at. Okay? He's not saying we physically have to go somewhere. What he's saying is, when you pray, pray as if it's only you and God. Right? If that's the audience, if the audience is just you and God, you're praying with, and you're speaking, and it's just you and God. Now, does that mean maybe you have to go into a closet? Maybe. Maybe if your tendency is that you say things in your prayer or you do things in your prayer that force, force you to, to be like, oh, this is, someone's going to hear me. And, right? If that's a temptation for you, then sure, go where no one's going to see you. That, you're, that you knowingly, as far as you know, no one's going to see you or hear you. Because that becomes, the temptation goes away. It's, it's a guideline for us to get away from that. But that doesn't mean we have to go there, right? We can pray in, in the public arena, right? Dr. Dunham opened our, our time here in chapel in prayer. Was, was he in some closet in a room praying? No. When we pray before our assemblies on Sunday mornings or whatever time, uh, other extra times you, you gather, Right? When you pray before those, are you going into some inner room that's up there on the platform that, that no one can see you? No. 
going into our inner room is the idea of the most private of places available. So, so when, when, when we pray, we've got to take some time and recognize that, yes, I'm praying, and I'm even leading these people in prayer, perhaps. But the, but the conversation I'm having is between me and God, and, and that's it. Yes, people are listening in. Yes, they may agree with me, but that's not the goal. Because when we recognize that God is the audience of our prayers and the only one that ought to be the audience of our prayers, we go in there in whatever area that is and we shut the door, so to speak, to shut everything else. Right? So oftentimes we go into prayer and we just, we're just like, all right, let's pray. God, thanks you. And we just jump right in. Maybe we need to take a few minutes and slow down. And when we, t- when we tell our congregations, well, even ourselves, when we go into private prayer, right, just need to calm down and take a few moments to help us to engage in the conversation that we're about to have, to concentrate in, to, to help filter out the, all the ideas you have running around your head, the thoughts of the, that, that are pushing the, the, the phone calls that are coming, the, the text messages, the emails, whatever it may be. Just take a moment and put that out of your head so you can focus on communion with God. Shutting out the world, so to speak. Right? Christ regularly went away and prayed entirely on his own. And sure, people knew where he was. Sure, family and friends may know that we went to pray. But what Jesus has said and what what we say is not meant for others to hear. It's meant for, for the Father to hear us. Because the Father who sees in secret will reward us. So since God is the audience of our prayers, and that enables us to have an open conversation with our Father, we have to recognize that God is not, the only, not only concerned with our spirit entering the conversation, but he's also, he's also interested in what the content of our prayer is. Right? So as praying people, we must concentrate on what we're saying. And I think that's where he picks up in verse 7. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless, meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Now, maybe we read that and we think, wow, I've probably prayed the same prayer hundreds of times perhaps even if it's as basic as praying for my food before a meal. I mean, let's be honest. There's only so many ways you can say thank you for this food. So is he saying, don't do that? What about your loved one? What about your loved one that that has that illness that they just can't get over? And you repeatedly, you repeatedly go to God begging him to heal that person. Is he saying don't do that? I think we've got to recognize the word meaningless here. When we recognize the word meaningless, oftentimes what he's what what he's saying, and oftentimes what we do is we go into prayers and we know, okay, we're about to eat, so I need to say thank you for this food, and that's just what we do. There's not a heart of thanksgiving behind that. There's not a heart asking God, there's not a heart literally pleading with God to heal that loved one. 
Because it's like, well, I said it a hundred times now. I'm, I'm supposed to pray, so I guess, I guess I'll just keep saying the same thing. Or you figure out different ways to say it, right? Well, maybe that wasn't the right way to say it, so I've got to say it a different way. God wants us to be actively engaged in those words. right? As the Gentiles do, here's what was happening. These people, they would hear these prayers. And these prayers would have these maybe words they didn't know, repetitions that they would just think they could just keep repeating because it says that they thought they would be heard for their many words. You know what, sometimes the best prayers are the shortest, simplest prayers you've ever heard. Right? I mean, it comes out in our writing even, right? I forget who says it, but I but it said, time did not permit me to write you a short letter as I intended. Right? It takes thought to put into words what we want to say and say it accurately. Right, 25-page paper. You can fill a 25-page page paper with a lot of stuff. Okay. But but when you, when they tell you, well, you got to r- narrow that down to 15 pages. That takes some thought. That takes some real thought. You've got all this content, and it's got to narrow down. And I'm not saying that our prayers have to be short. Although some people would take this passage and say we have to have short prayers. Okay, but you'd have to look at like Luke 18 and actually says, don't give up in prayer. And you put them all together, and you've got to keep moving forward, asking God. It's just guarding our heart against this, this ideology that, that the more I say, the better it's going to be. And as the Jews picked up on this, our Lord says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Actively engage your mind in what you're saying. You want to... It's probably true that all of us at some point have used a word in our prayers that we're like, I actually have no idea what that means. But I heard someone else say it. And it was in a prayer, so it's got to be okay. You engaged in this very action. Meaningless repetition. Yeah, maybe you didn't repeat the word, but you have no idea what that word meant. Because thoughtless prayer is as offensive as heartless prayer. And in most, case, most cases, they're directly connected. Right? I didn't think about what I'm saying. I have no intention of thinking about what I'm saying. I just know I'm supposed to say it. Your heart's not there. That's not, right? If you're asking for God to heal someone, you're not, your heart is not behind begging God for that. When you're just, God, heal Grandma. Nothing wrong with saying that, but is that really what you mean? Why? Because God cares for us. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that a comforting thought, though? Right? God... The God of this universe, the one who created all of us, created everything around us, he actually cares about us? I mean, just let that sink in for a second. God of this, the God of this universe cares about every single one of us and every single one of our needs. And he knows what we need before we even ask him. 
Right? It's not like we're going to God in prayer, badgering Him for our requests. Right? Thinking that if I ask this for the 150th time, then Grandma's going to be healed. Maybe it's just maybe his answer is no. And you think you're just going to badger him. You're going to beat up God until he gives you what you want. Yeah, we're told in James to, to go to God because we don't have, because we don't ask. But God's not required to give us anything. He's not required to give us our next breath. That's his grace, his mercy. And yet he freely gives it to us. Right, so if the purpose of prayer is not to inform or persuade God, but coming before Him sincerely, purposefully, consciously, devotedly, why do we pray? He knows everything I need. I mean, he knows everything I need. Why, why, why do it? Right, I mean, we've, we've got passages like this that in Luke 18 that would say that We've got to be careful and not be endlessly speaking. We've got to be seeking God with determination and resolve. But ultimately, God demands that we pursue Him. God commands it of us to pray and seek what we ought to be seeking for, thanking Him for what we ought to be thanking Him for, asking Him because we do not have. Right? Several of you in here are our fathers. And when, when you, I mean, you have, generally speaking, you have everything your kids need. But there are things you will withhold from them until, you, until your son or daughter comes to you and says, Daddy, can I please have that? Because you want them to ask you. Right? You're ready to give it to them. I mean, you're, you're almost giving it to them. But you're saying, what do you say? Please. That's our father. That's our heavenly father. He's got it. He's ready to give it to us. But he wants us to come to him and say, "Father, I need this. You know I need this. Will you please give this to me?" Right? God's a person. He expects us to interact with him as a per- in personal ways, submitting our desires to his because he is all wise and just merciful and gracious and we can keep going down the list. And you know what? Out of all that list, I'm none of those outside of Christ. And even then, it's flawed. Guys, God wants us to come to Him and ask Him for everything. He's ready to give it. And He'll freely give it. But come depending on Him so if prayer requires our full concentration, we've got to pray properly because, it, because to have our heart properly oriented toward God, recognize that the only audience that we are coming before is God the Father. We must not engage in, in this conversation flippantly. And brothers, I would argue that too often, far too often, that's exactly what we do. We're supposed to pray. Hey, will you open us in... Open Open us in prayer this morning. Hey, will you open? Will you pray for us at Danny class? It's the thing we do, but we don't engage in it, right? I, I, I've driven from Inner City Baptist Church to my house. I don't know how many times. 
I could probably close my eyes and drive it. Bad idea. Bad idea. Okay? But I've done it so many times, I can just do it. Right? We've prayed for meals how many times? We've prayed for opening of a class, opening of a, of a church service, ABF. And yet, too often we just go on autopilot. Let's just, let's just let it go. So, so my encouragement to you guys, before we pray, take a moment. Take a moment and before you pray, whenever you pray, whatever that is, to allow yourself to concentrate on the act that you're about to participate in. Let, let things slow down. Okay, yeah, world zooming past us. Let, let things slow down and concentrate. You're about to address the God of this universe, the one who cares for you, the one who wants to give you everything. And yet we flippantly jump into that conversation. Slow down. Before you pray, allow us yourself to concentrate on the act that you're about to participate in. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You're merciful. You're gracious. God, thanks for this opportunity that we have to look at this passage this morning. Lord, help us to guard ourselves against the temptation to be seen as men as we work, as we seek to work out our salvation. Thank you for listening to the DBTS Chapel Hour. DBTS is a ministry of Inner City Baptist Church. To find out more about Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, please go to dbts.edu.